Polk here and welcome back for another episode of the Doug Polk podcast. Today we are joined by a friend of mine who actually was on this podcast a few years ago. Brian Mycon, the founder of Seals with Clubs, is joining us to talk about all kinds of things, NFTs, rare Pepes, maybe a little Seals with Clubs, and of course some other poker topics as well. Should be a fun one. But before we jump into that, I want to quickly let you guys know we just had Nate Silver on earlier this week. A fun conversation talked about some of the presidential betting odds and his recent foray into poker. So definitely one to check out if you missed it. And then tomorrow, Norman Chad, half of the iconic WSOP main event casting duo, will be joining us to talk about everything happening with the World Series of Poker, what he's been up to, and I think a lot of poker topics in general. Who knows? Maybe we talk about sports. I see him tweet every now and then about football. I know he likes having some takes there too. So with that out of the way, let's go ahead and introduce today's guest. We are joined by founder of Seals with Clubs, friend of mine, Brian, Brian Mikon, Mikon the Icon. Welcome to the podcast today. Thank you very much, Doug. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Glad to hear it. So before we get started here, I, I recently put some feelers out there for people, what, what they were thinking about this podcast so far, and they said they wanted a little more background about guests um, as we get the ball rolling here on today's pod. So why don't you just give us a little backstory about yourself so people can kind of know uh, who you are. You introed me. Your intro, that would have been a proper designation of me seven years ago. But I mean, I I started as, I guess, from the poker world, I started as the, the poker forum guy. I mean, I don't know if that was even before your time. It was Never Win Poker was the original thing that I did in poker. And then uh, certainly it was the went from the forum podcast guy long before I was in this game, long before you came along and crushed it. Uh, we were doing it to 65 people, but, you know, same basic kind of thing. Uh, and then, so, you know, then I made, then I, I helped promote the first Bitcoin poker site. And I ran around from 2011, 12 and 13 and 14, uh, just giving away Bitcoin to people that would take it saying, Hey, you can, you know, play poker with it. You can bet sports with it. You can transfer it. You can just look at, just play with it. And I went, and that, then I was kind of known as that for a while. That was kind of what what I was the Bitcoin guy. I was the Bitcoin poker guy for a little good, while. Good guy to be, by the way. I, I can't complain. But, you know, I mean, a little bit of PTSD from when, uh, you know, the gaming raided my house. You know, a little bit of PTSD from when they pointed guns at your man, Doug. But uh, overall, can't complain. Exposed a lot of people. The butterfly effect of what I did during those years is, I think, what still felt more because I think a lot of poker players are into not just Bitcoin, but crypto. Now, of course, NFTs. I think because of some of those early moves that I made and run around screaming, it wasn't just me, but I'm you know, a little bit of narcissistic tendencies. I'd like to think I had a lot to do with it. And But now, now, Doug, you are dated in your reference to me as the Bitcoin poker guy, because now I just looked at like the last couple of follows, again, narcissistic tendencies on the Twitter, and I'm an NFT follow now. I am an NFT follower. I'm not the Bitcoin poker guy. I'm not the poker forum podcast guy. I am the NFT guy now, Doug Polk. Sorry, I should I should have updated the bio here. I mean, I always like to think you as, think of you as the seals with clubs guy in my heart, but NFT guy. Scribble this out. NFT. I'm not That's mad at you. Forward. I'm not mad at you. That's where I reside in a lot of poker players' hearts. Change some lives. Yeah. No, I'm, if they if they followed you into any of these things, they 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 probably did change some life. All right, let's let's just go ahead and jump into it because. The NFT craze has been full-blown for, I don't know how long we want to call it. I, I think going into this year, it felt like it was taking off a little bit. It obviously ramped up. And then the last couple of months, I'm going to use the word frothy. It's been, it's been frothy in the NFT streets. 
it seems every single project they mint a bunch of these things they start trading gas prices spike to a million gui it's 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 out of control we're seeing these things pop up on all the different blockchains we're seeing of course some of the original projects value increase tremendously but then even the new ones seem like they're doing extremely well what are your thoughts on the NFT market as is as a whole today lots of thoughts here great question doug paul uh as a whole yes i would agree it feels extremely frothy i see exactly what you see the latest ten thousand profile pick drop just selling out instantly somebody that just minted that picks up a quick two million four million can that velocity continue i would bet no i just keep seeing now there's apes now there's monsters then there's bulls then there's bears then there's just i mean just it's uh, penguins i don't know really i think that the nft market as a whole has yet to discover what nfts actually will do and what people will think of as nfts in the future in the five ten year what my daughter will think of as NFTs will be, I think, the in-game sword, the in-game uh, item in a Roblox-type Minecraft, World of Warcraft-type game, Magic the Gathering, that there'll be the items in that game. I don't think it'll just be a collectible. I, that, that will seemingly always exist. But I think that's we've only touched the first phase. It'll be a Ticketmaster ticket. will be an NFT that you could provably sell to a guy to go to the Golden Knights game and that you know you're not getting a fake. I think that's going to be the actual use cases in the future. And I think today we're still in wild, wild west. I, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what we're doing right now. Not going to lie to you. Do you think that, that gets, gets kind of gimmicky? Because one of the things that I kind of like about these NFTs, and I saw Mike McDonald tweet this the other day, by the way, guys, he came on to talk about NFTs too. If you missed that podcast, I recommend checking it out. But I saw him tweeting about this. One of the, uh, I'm going to misquote it slightly, but the gist I'll get right. One of the great things about NFTs is it's different than shit coins where we all pretend that they're worth something when they're not. These people all kind of know that these are just a picture on a blockchain and we're all sort of just saying that's what it is. Here's the price. And so there's sort of an honesty to it. What do you think about that? One, Timex is just like the sharpest son of a bitch I've ever, I've ever come across. And it's just, it hurts. He's so sharp, it actually hurts. And, uh, I saw what he was doing with punks. I agree with what he said just then in that uh, there is an honesty here. It's just, hey, here's a JPEG. You want to buy the JPEG? There's there's something else, though. There's there's something that I know Timex sniffed out earlier this year when he started really jumping on the punk train is what I just sort of remember from his feed. Where like he knew that these assets, it's more than just a couple of stupid pixels. It's more than just a picture is that there's an asset. That is one of the first assets that you can't go back and print more. That's just when it was made in the blockchain, provably so. And similar to like a 1938 baseball card or whatever, like that's just just some of the first. 1914 Harness Wagner, just some of the rarest and some of the first here in the digital age. So there is something there that humans, for whatever reason, like. No, you don't need to dress it up. That's what it is. It's it's just that. It's just that thing. And I I, I will say this. I don't get it. I don't get the punks. I don't understand. I don't get it. And when Timex is so bullish on it, then I start to think I'm wrong. I don't I don't have any confidence that like I'm right and he's wrong. I just think like maybe I really just don't get it. There's an interesting aspect to that, too, because whenever you look at an, a, a, an item, let's just say punks is this example, but it happens and everything it happens. With lots of currencies that you might be debating, buying different cryptocurrencies, different assets, whatever. I remember vividly looking at punks when they were 40K, 50K and thinking, eh, I mean, I'm not saying these aren't going to go up, but I don't personally love them. 
and they have gone up a lot of money so far. Do I think that these are an awesome bet at 40,000? No, I don't, right? Clearly wrong. Okay, so not defending my position, but that's what I thought. Then they 10x. And now you're looking at punks. I think that they were down to 350K or so US dollar equivalent um, last I checked, but let's just say that they were worth 400. So am I supposed to say, oh, no, okay, I was wrong then. Now, now these are a good buy now that they've gone up a thousand percent. And I think that it, it gets kind of difficult to analyze it from a, pers- a perspective that's not just, hey, this thing just went up 10x and I said no before. How can I justify it today? But then that's the same exact kind of thinking that gets people into this pigeonhole into this. I'm never going to own any Bitcoin type of position. And so I feel a bit like the no coiners in that direction. But then at the same time, this thing just 10x. So I don't know. What, what do you what are your thoughts on getting involved in the NFT? Let's, let's just say punk specifically today. Punk specifically today. What are your thoughts there? So, I mean, like punk specifically, like I just. I've kind of been watching it just it reminds me a lot of Ripple where like I just like keep watching it go up since the very beginning of it. And I'm just like, well, don't like it now. Don't like it now. Don't like it now. Don't like it now. 10x still don't don't like it 10x as much. Like, I don't know. It just that's what I look at it. And I think I'm wrong, though. I just kind of feel like kind of in the pit of my stomach that I might be wrong, that there is something here. This is like a happening that will just continue to be referenced in the future and continue to be fine art, digital fine art. But I mean, I guess breaking your rule on sticking to punks, punks earlier this year and really Timex tweets led me to remember the Pepe's, which I remembered predated punks. So like I saw it kind of at that 40K like uh, level that you talked about when it really started to get a couple of articles. And I started to see some of the, I guess, more like woke crypto influencer types, poker crypto people that I respect start to say, all right, I'm in. Or I'm going to fire like this ridiculous, you know, year yearly American salary at a at a 16 by 16 pixel or whatever it is, a 32 by 32 like pixels of like, all right, like, you know, that guy's rich. Like, you know, it's like and it's like kind of this weird ultimate flex now that I don't get that I don't I don't want to do. I don't need to like put it as my profile and be like, look, guys, I just fired off a shit ton of money on this. Look at me. I'm rich. I'm crypto rich. Everybody look. I just feel that's what like a lot of people that have the punks, they want to, they want to, they want to do that and get in those. But then that's fine too. I'm not even like saying that that's bad. I'm just saying like, that's, that's like, it's like buying a Rolex. It's like buying a Lambo. I don't have, I don't have those things either. Like I just Uh, like kind of look at me. Counterpoint. What's your current avatar on Twitter? Okay. So my current avatar on Twitter, Uh, I just, uh, Go ahead. Oh, Explain taps yourself. table. Taps table. Well played, Doug Paul. You play better than I do. You win. And uh, <laughs> I think I've led a pretty high integrity profile Twitter profile picture game over the years. And I did change it to a Nakamoto card, a Series One card, one rare Pepe, <laughs> which which does sell for a half million dollars. Yeah, there you go. You, you can't you, you can't hate you can't hate on these God people while you have this as your profile picture. Okay, but I, okay. The flexing aspect, <laughs> and, and and I think that you just you really hit the nail on the head with the demand for these types of things. There is a serious business flexing aspect, and you're looking at a group of people that have already made a lot of money. I think if you look at the main buyers of NFTs, it's people that have been involved in cryptocurrency for 
a good number of years to where they got in when these assets were very cheap. Uh, they've probably made 10, 20, 50, 100x or more for some people. And so you're looking at a group of people that are very wealthy. And this is really, ma- I mean, it's obviously speculation, of course. But then the main value is is flexing, I think, uh, fl- that you can afford to spend this much on this, pic- this picture. And you can verify, hey, this is mine. I can prove it. I can afford this. This is something that I that I spent this much money on. And then it's a story and people kind of like that. Oh, my God, that guy bought that for X amount. He bought a picture of a rock for a million dollars. Whatever it is that they're buying, it, it, it's flexing on people. And you know what? Flexing on people has been a thing for a very long time. And I don't think that's going anywhere in in the years to come. Yeah, I I've, I I tend to agree with everything you just said. I mean, it just it's people like to flex on other people hard. And to do so with a million dollar rock is the new way to do so. Could be the best timeline, could be the worst that we're living in right now. I I have to say that the the number one Pepe picture is a little different. Okay, explain. It's it to a us. little different. It it's Break a little different. Us. The rare Pepe set is the original. Like everything that came after that, I got I like was in a total frenzy earlier this year where like I saw these punks start to shoot up. And I'm like, wait, punks, it's a little digital pic. It's like, and I'm like, I'm like the pep, the rare Pepe set was like steeped in like satire and counterculture art and actual like pretty good artists got in there at the end. And it's like this, like this set that predates punks. And I was like, and like, it was like really like the first NFTs that live on Bitcoin. Like it just, you know, and so it just like everything about it. I was in this frenzy, like, cause I, I, this is the first time I've revealed it publicly, Doug, on your podcast. I made one. I'm, I like to think of myself first and foremost as an artist, as you know, that <laughs> I made Soda Papinski series 27 card nine of the rare Pepe set. I made it. I made that card in 2017. And when we were just minting, we were minting NFTs before they were called NFTs on counterparty, just because we could and to like make fun of other assholes in the space at the time. And like, I was in a total frenzy this year. I was like, I have to just, I have to own the number one card. I've always wanted that. It was a little bit too pricey. I was down, down bad after the 2015 unpleasantness and like after I caught the case. And so like, but now I just found myself earlier this year. I'm like, well, shit, like I want to, you know, you know, in a, in a good spot. And like, I just like, I want to, I want to buy that. Like I want to own that because it represents that it, it represents like a time. Like it's like the, when I looked at the rare Pepe set, it's like, there are moments frozen in in time at like a very interesting part of like the story of Bitcoin and the greater cryptocurrency. That that 16 to 18 time, that's when the, the Bitcoin cash fork is going to happen. That's when Ethereum is going to go from a curiosity to like a player. Crypto kitties are going to hit the are going to, you know, crush that chain and like launch the scaling debate for that thing. I mean, there's like an amazing, brilliant time in crypto. And it's sort of like, I don't know, I guess, I guess chronicled through the 1700 uh, plus rare Pepe set. So are rare Pepe's the actual first NFT? So that debate is like going to rage forever. There was a name coin asset that was sold that was like minted in 2014. That was sold at Christie's recently. I don't know if you caught that one, mm-hmm. but uh, it was and like and uh, Joe Looney would some of the some of the nerds were like kind of taking a look like, hey, that looks like a reissue. It looks like he it is the asset from 14, but it was kind of had to be reissued because it was kind of lost. And then so there's like sort of uh, like a, a question of, as to whether or not that was what was sold for like, I think, a seven digit number. 
and that question, what was the first NFT? We didn't call, we didn't have this word in 14. We were issuing counterparty assets that were linked to pictures. That would that would become known as an, an it is it is a non-fungible token, but that wouldn't be the stamp that we put on what that what we're doing until years later. There were some early assets. Uh, the Omni chain has a couple early assets from like 14-ish. Uh, and there's some early earlier colored coin stuff. So that that question is going to be like a nerdish debate for a long time. But Rare Pepe's to me is the first like relevant set. There were 1,700 of them. There were like a couple hundred of us like collecting, trading, maybe a greater, like maybe five, 600 total were aware of it in that early time, in that 16 to 18 time. And so like it was the first one of any like relevance is what I think of it as. 1,700 different types of cards or 1,700 total cards? 1,700 different cards. Series 1, card 1, Series 1, card 2, and so on. On to Series 36, card 24, I believe. And uh, each one with different issuances. So that very first card, that Series 1, card 1 in my profile pick has 300 issued. But because this was all issued so long ago, a lot of those wallets are lost. Those people have forgotten about it, thrown it away. Some have tragically died. And uh, there's maybe 170, maybe 150 to 200-ish of those number one cards actually in circulation, still in wallets that people control. And, and that's true for every single card. Has a little has a cute little story. Whoever the artist was that issued the Rare Pepe got the full issuance and then would then sell them through the counterparty decks, which is a very difficult thing to use. And uh, you would buy them and sell them for Pepe cash or counterparty XCP tokens, oh which are God. both I, incredibly illiquid and hard to use. I kind of remember that. It's been years since I heard anyone talk about that, but I kind of remember counterparty a little bit. Everybody forgot about it for three years, and except for J Dog, Looney, and Villar, and some of the and one or two of the other core maintainers. Every, there was just very little. The Dex was almost unused. No, all the exchanges delisted counterparty. Some exchanges had Pepe Cash back in the day, back in eighteen. But then Bitcoin fees went up. It became like 40 bucks to click any transaction on there. And just people, NFTs weren't a thing in 18 and 19. And people just kind of forgot about it. And then all of a sudden with that punk rush, and then now people just, those, they, they call them archaeologists now that are trying to like look back and see what came before, what, what came next. Then all of a sudden, boom, you know, they, they all found it. They all started waking up and finding it earlier this year. But what's the most expensive Rare Pepe, I assume it's number one, right? The um, I, I don't want to think that. What what what's the what's the name of it? The Satoshi. Uh, is there a weird weird way they put his name? What what's the number so one the, card? So series one card one is the Nakamoto card, and that's okay. what it says. It was made by a guy named Mike, who doesn't really come around the Telegram anymore. That's all we really know about him. He made the first three cards and a couple other ones in the set, and uh, the Nakamoto card, as they call it, is. You know, maybe uh, OpenSea, some sells between 120 and 150 ETH recently. And uh, the, but the most expensive and probably the most famous card in the set is the Homer Pepe, which sold somewhat famously and very Googleable at a, I think, Art Basel, some, some French art something, NFT art something in 18. It sold for like $22,000. It's a one of one in the set. There's seven cards in the Rare Pepe set that are one of ones. Only one was minted. And they stopped allowing that after Series 3. But a Homer Pepe... Why did they stop allowing that? 
just because then people would have nobody would be able to complete the set. It was sort of there was there's this is a rare Pepe's were minted for no reason, somewhat centered around a podcast called Bitcoin Unlimited from 16 to like 18. There was like some infighting. There was a lot of like really crazy, like inside jokes that became some of these cards. Some of their guests that they had on the podcast became some of their cards, like Guru Pepe was a guest they had on. It was like a freeze frame. People like laughed about it. Like the 85 people that watched it laughed about it. They made it a card. So, uh, so like why, like, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to why, but uh, they just, a couple of people minted, a, somebody minted a one of one in the first set, only one Pepe and he didn't sell it. Now he's the only one that could complete the set. And then like someone, then a couple other people like, well, shit, I want to mint a one of one and have one. Then now seven of them got through and then they're like, no, fuck this. Minimum 100 issuance. Like we want people to have them and then to circulate. And that's just the random rule that was made. That's just the rare Pepe scientists of the time decided, decreed as such. So basically you cannot complete the set. It's not possible. Nobody can complete the set. There's an awesome guy named Crypto Chainer that has like 1704 of the 1774 cards. He's missing the seven one of ones, a bunch of the one of nine Putins, the one of two Winklevi, that, is, that one of them's burned. So there's only one of those. There's just oh, all no. there's, there's a deep, rich history of insanity. It's total insanity, Doug, throughout the set. And like, there's a couple of them that are just unobtainable. And uh, a guy named Token Angels, this crazy Italian guy, he started buying earlier this year. He's somewhat famous NFT collector. He paid up big for that Homer Pepe. So we know it was sold for 200 and something thousand earlier this year, which would have made it the which would have made it like 5X, 10X, what the number one card, the Nakamoto card was going for at that time. If Homer Pepe would, were to be sold today, I would have to imagine it's in the many, the multiple millions and I would see. be the most expensive card, as I would guess it, today. Let's go ahead and show the people here that are watching via video what... Um... Let's go ahead and show them what this card looks like. I've got this up on the screen. You should be able to see it if it pulls up accordingly. Let's see. Huh? All right. So this is what we're looking at, right? This is a correct Nakamoto card. That is that is one. It's uh, vaulted. A l- I would vault it differently. But I'm the, ra- I'm the rare Pepe dealer, by the way. You are the dealer. I am the rare Pepe dealer and the purveyor of the rare Pepe gallery in Decentraland. At minus twenty three comma sixty nice. nine, Mycon did send me a, a link to this, and it's it's pretty pretty nifty. You you go into a little museum, you got all the Pepe's up. It's got some nice music going in the background. The, what? This was a uh, little bit of an obsession. No, I worked with this very talented builder, and uh, shout to Rizik, and uh, he. I, I just had I had a high idea one night, and. Uh, Lead a pretty clean life these days, and uh, but did eat a bunch of uh, marijuana edibles one night. And just, I really, this is right when <laughs> a brilliant guy named Shannon made the emblem.finance vault. And he's been on this grind for like three, four years. I've shout to Shannon for actually making this. The emblem vault is, contain, is a wallet within a wallet. You mint it on ETH so that it's an ETH token. You can buy and sell it on OpenSea. You can buy and sell it for ETH. And inside that token is a bunch of different wallets, a bunch of addresses, a bunch of public keys. And if you are the owner and crack it, you can get the private keys. So within this emblem vault is a Bitcoin address 
BCH, other things, ETH address too. And the Bitcoin address is counterparty aware. So when you send a counterparty asset to it, the emblem vault says, look, I have this counterparty asset in there. In this case of the card you're showing right now, Rare Pepe, the asset is actually called R-A-R-E-P-E-P-E. That is the number one series one card one. That is the counterparty asset name. The whole set is also referred to as Rare Space Pepe's. So that's where there's a little bit of confusion here. That's why I would have vaulted this a little bit differently. But neither here nor there. Once the emblem vaults come out and we can store counterparty assets on ETH, then I had to build the Rare Pepe gallery. Because now, and only then, because Decentraland can only display Ethereum NFTs at this moment, then I could finally build a gallery. I could display these awesome cards and then you know talk a little bit about the history there and Is play there, the music. So when we look at these being on Bitcoin versus most NFTs, which are on ETH, of course, the other blockchains have them. Solana has some. Um, I'm sure a bunch of different blockchains have their own NFTs. What are the downsides to it being on Bitcoin? I assume that there are some interface problems. I assume that uh, p- potentially less liquidity in the in the ecosystem for NFT purchases, or maybe not. Well, what are some of the differences there? So the when the counterparty asset being on Bitcoin is a giant headache, is a massive, massive headache. Okay, and that's part of why I started the gallery and started vaulting these things because when you interact on counterparty, which is all counterparty does is store asset information in the op return data of the Bitcoin blockchain. So when you want to move an asset, you make a transaction for essentially only paying the Bitcoin fee that makes a little bit of op return data and then throws it to the chain and that gets recorded. And then the counterparty protocol interprets all those op return data and then sit to to see who, which addresses have which assets. The way that the DEX work is super complicated. When I left Counterparty, I, I minted this thing in 2017. Earlier this year, I, was, I thought, holy shit, these are about to blow and they're way cooler than the NFTs that are already blowing. And so I jumped back into Counterparty and it took me like a week. I needed like a one week like refresher and I was minting these things, trading them and everything back in the day. So without the emblem vault, you would probably knock out 90 plus percent of buyers that would not go through the one week learning curve just to learn how to interact with NFTs on the Bitcoin chain. Once you vault them and you throw them on OpenSea, it's one click and fire off your ETH. And then, and then you own the asset, provably so, in a much easier, much more portable form. Okay, so the vaulting of them essentially allows you to take part in the ETH NFT ecosystem while still being on the Bitcoin blockchain. You actually have the asset from the Bitcoin blockchain. You put it in a little ETH wrapper, and then you put that ETH wrapper up for OpenSea, and everybody can buy it, and everybody can provably see that they are that the counterparty asset is within. It's like a wrap Bitcoin, but it's a wrap Pepe. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And we're adding provenance, the word that I'm sure you've heard the NFT community overusing for the last few months. Provenance is what you're looking for in these damn digital things. And as the, uh, I think we'll go with the Merriam-Webster definition of provenance as the history of ownership of a valued object or work of art or literature. And that's what they're doing when they're buying the million dollar ether rock. They're looking for the provenance that there was some forgotten about 2000 whatever project on ETH. 
And then we found it and there's only a hundred of them. And how did they, oh, and then somebody lost them. And, so, and now we refired up the contract. The whole history of that, like what, what went into it all up until now is like, I think a lot of the story and a lot of the value in pricing these expensive JPEGs. Okay, so honing back in on this Nakamoto card, mm-hmm. this one is listed for $491,000 or 130 ETH. Do you think that's an approximately fair value for this card? What would you say this card do you think is worth? I mean, I'm not selling one of mine yet because I think that this is a multi-million dollar card. I think this okay. card is going to sell for a million before the end of the year. I, there's 170 of them. It's essentially the start of blockchain artwork to some degree. It's play, it's below the floor punk price of yesterday, not at the one of today, I guess. I guess there's NFTs are in free fall today. Oh, my God. They went up 90 days in a row, but not today. <laughs> and let's panic. Okay, so so you think it's more along the lines of this? You think this is more of a fair price for this card? I do. I think that is. Okay. I think four twenty sixty nine sale feels inevitable to me. It just feels inevitable. I don't know. I I, I like the memeing in the price. It, it, it does. It does seem. It does seem people will enjoy that. Here's my question to you: How can can you please explain this to let's just say a normal human being pulled up the stream? Why they're here, I don't know. But let's say a normal human being pulls up the screen. They look at this. It's a picture of this card on the blockchain. And then they see that it is $1.589 million. Can you explain to them why it's worth that? I guess so. Uh, for the same reason why early baseball cards, why that Mike Trout traded for $4 million and somebody bought a piece of cardboard for that price. Uh, Beanie Babies, the Royal Blue Peanut, traded for hundreds of thousands at one point back there it's just it's supply and demand is what it is is why really the price of bitcoin is what it is it's why anything in a free market society is what the price is in this case that same kind of reasons that you talked about for punk ownership flexing on people just owning the very first thing owning one of the original whatevers owning one copy an original copy of the declaration of independence or an early rembrandt there are things that hold value to people because they just hold value to multiple people. And somebody wants it for a little bit more than the next guy wants it for. I woke up earlier this year thinking, oh my God, I need to get one of these Nakamoto cards. Like I remember the set. I kind of wanted one back in 16. But like I said, I was down bad and I just couldn't really justify at that point. It was like maybe a grand or two or 700, but you still had to track a guy down. It wasn't really easy. You couldn't just walk into the store. Hi, what Nakamoto car? You'd have to do a lot of legwork to find a guy to sell it to you back then. And just like blowing a grand on a picture of, of a digital picture of a frog, a JPEG of a frog. It's, I could understand why. I mean, it's not hard to understand. Like, okay, you know, maybe this, you know, you got a two and a half year old daughter. Like, maybe that's more important than buying a JPEG of a frog right now. Like, it's just, you know, I mean, it's easy to understand, but. I really wanted one earlier this year. And at my I guess I'm more price sensitive than the final bidder for this thing. But, you know, I was willing to just light up a couple of grand to to get it because I just I I wanted it. I didn't necessarily want to sell it. I just I mean I kind of wanted it to sell it. I thought it would go up, but like I just I've always wanted that one. It's fucking cool. <laughs> it's the start of blockchain art. It's just I have a I have some other bullshit. Like I have a 
I have the crypto graffiti number seven of 100 uh, Dorian signed Dorian. Is that made the out background of credit cards? It's not. That's just a, oh. that's an Xer Pepe cash card, which is actually similarly awesome in its own right, which is a physical Pepe cash card that, uh, <laughs> yeah, Xer is just this, he's an OG Pepe OG that, is that started is, is that hol- these hol- physicals. Holographic? It, 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 the, I think it, I think it does. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. That's holographic. Yeah, right. Someone wasn't into Pokemon as a kid, I'll tell you that much. Uh, yeah, <laughs> You're so, a little younger so, than me, Doug. Fair. Um, so go, going back to talk about this, I actually want to pull up a comment in the chat here. I usually don't go up in, in the chat comments too often, but this person said, the Declaration of Independence has historical significance. And that's true, obviously. But I think what people fail to realize when they think about these nfts especially some of the detractors is that these things do have significance and it's significance and scarcity that really are what create the supply and demand and there are not many of these cards and they are significant because they represent mike on put it like this basically they represent the start of blockchain art and that does have significance so is that as much significance as the declaration of independence no obviously not but the, the declaration of independence will never be for sale and if it was for sale, you could expect that to go for a truly astronomical number because it cannot be replaced and represents one of the pivotal, really, moments in the history of the world, I would say. Um, it, so, go ahead. It comes back to provenance here. And what, what what is this asset? It was a bunch of people playing with the very first, essentially, NFT blockchainable asset technology in 2016. And how are they playing with it? For no reason. It's like, it's... One part Banksy, one part, you know, I don't know, a five-year-old drawing with crayons, you know, one part 4chan, it, one part, and one part crypto, one part crypto Twitter. And, and it's just, it's a mashup of these ideas. It is, let's see, let's mint an asset just because we now develop protocol. Why? Because it'll be useful in the future. Here's the first, here's the first ones being played with. And, you know, and, and, and the art that, that came out, I think, is is pretty damn cool and pretty and just and just kind of significant in that like this is what the discussion this is where everyone's head was at why did they make series 1 card 1 the nakamoto card because like you know the whole thing of crypto is like you know all to satoshi you know it's like satoshi made this like we recognize that first and foremost okay then gox blew it up like you know num- card number 2 mark carpellis remember the gox explosion it was like that level it was like a satoshi level like event when like over half a million coins over like I don't know, like some ridiculous, like 9% of them that were out there just like got LOL out of an exchange. And like, I don't know, then like, it's, it's like, there's that in that in there, you're buying some of that. If, if you, if you believe in NFTs, then you're buying that. Circling back to some other NFT uh, sort of questions and notes that I have here. Uh, Going back to the frothiness of the current NFT market, because I think, I think long run, the significance of some of the early NFTs, I think that the significance is there. And I think that I can see these things retaining their value and being important in the future. In 20 years, are, NFT, are the original NFTs going to be viewed favorably or viewed less favorably? Well, if you think that cryptocurrency is here to stay, which after 10 years of it growing uh, extensively, I think that's a pretty safe assumption. Well, I think these things are going to continue to be viewed more favorably. And as that becomes part of culture and the demand increases the supply will be limited for these initial projects so um 
I, I I'm pretty long on these initial ones. The the rare Pepe's, the crypto punks, uh, the ether rocks. I'm pretty long on those overall. What I think where I think that things get extremely bullshitty are the recent surge of new ones that are popping up and the prices just immediately are are going crazy because people want to be on the next big thing. They want to be on the floor of the next whatever series that becomes part of the current culture. My question, when you look at the gas and fees on the NFT ecosystem, it's tremendous. And gas alone with how high uh, gas is for ETH right now has been enormous. I don't know how much how many dollars a day it is i would assume it's in the millions of dollars are being spent and burned on just trying to get these transactions there to be able to mint and buy nfts via OpenSea. and then on top of that you have fees that are taken out of the ecosystem most specifically uh OpenSea takes a 2.5 percent fee uh on all of these transactions and then of course some nfts have scammers or second layer fees that go back to the, the founders of these things so I guess what I'm driving at here is let's just let's just ballpark. I'm I'm just going to ballpark, and this could be a horrible estimate, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Let's say that five million a day is just being essentially lost um, on these things in the NFT ecosystem. H- how how long can that really go on for before we're starting to see the effects of that? Because it, it, it's possible it's more, more like 10 15 million i have really no idea this is real money that is being lost every single day to be a part of this ecosystem how long does that go on, on for before we see some kind of substantial pullback is that something that we should be thinking about when if people are considering making a play in the empty space it's a good question doug and i think you can the gas tracker part of etherscan i'm not going to pull it up right now but because the discussion is still essentially the same no matter what the exact number is but uh I think of, you know, you come from the online poker world too, kind of like me, like where you remember ever, cal- I don't know if you remember calculating poker stars rake back in the day, but we had it pegged at like a million a day. And then we were like thinking about the same thing, like, okay, like, so there's a million a day coming out of the poker ecosystem, but there were so many new players. And like, you know, it turns out that like that essentially has continued and then even gone up with all the other, you know, big sites to take it out of that ecosystem, seemingly in perpetuity. There's just enough new money flowing in. The crypto and the NFT space is like, I mean, imagine online poker, but like everyone can play and like just so many more, so much more money, you know, potentially flowing in and so many more, like instead of 100,000 people connected, there's 10 million with a MetaMask account. So, I mean, it's, is it potential that, is it, is it possible that all those fees can keep getting burned up? I mean, I guess, yes. I mean, it's... It, it does seem to ebb and flow, though. Like, you know, eventually, I don't know if you remember, but I mean, Bitcoin blockchain was kind of all clogged up in 1819. Now, mempool has been empty for a couple months. Ethereum is, of course, where all the rage is. EIP 1559 seemingly didn't help. I don't know if it helped. Maybe it would be worse now, gas-wise, if they didn't apply that improvement protocol. You would hope something happens in the future that these fees go down for the end user that's buying and minting these NFTs. But I, I agree with you. It's nuts. It's, you know, this is kind of crypto. We're just, you run everything live in the marketplace. You just, you just run it live. This is, this is what's happening now. If it 10 X is from here, I suppose that knocks out all the minting, but maybe it can be sustainable at these levels. It, it It's hard to isolate the effects of EIP one five five nine because, because basically 
yes, the price of gas has gone up since then, but so has the demand and usage of the network for NFTs. So what would it have been like without? I, I'm not sure. I'm not an expert. I, I don't know what the effect of that would be. I'm just saying it's hard to isolate. Um, I mean, you make a good point when you think about poker stars or poker sites in general. They take rake. Ecosystems were fine because you just have a big enough base of people and it doesn't matter. But I guess that this is sort of a where, where I think things may go. If if you look at the NFT ecosystem, people very, very rarely sell at loss, sell at a loss, partly because everything's gone up, but also partly because human bias, we don't like to, to lose. We it, It's it, you want know to kind of reminds you of it reminds me with, with houses. OK, people love to tell you how they bought their house for X and they sold for Y and there's a gap in the price. They don't factor in the the all the home upkeep stuff they had to do. They don't factor in the fact that the affiliates got commission on both sides of the sale. They don't factor in any of this shit. Though, so, oh, I bought my house for 500k and I sold it for 620. And then if you really ran into the math, they might have sold it for 480 after it was all said and done. They like that difference, that gap, whatever it is. As long as people are buying these things at higher price points, then this thing can can carry on. But if we reach a point where it becomes sort of saturated, where there is way more supply than demand, and the supply increases every day of new pro- of new projects, and we hit sort of a plateau in demand on how many new people are actually entering and wanting to buy, then these prices sort of don't have this continual driving upward force that's the floor being bought, that the rare is being bought, whatever is happening to drive up these prices. What kind of happens there if it stalls out? Does it does it crash or 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 do people just wait and then the market just kind of, kind of becomes illiquid? What do you think happens there? Uh, that's a it's a great question and I kind of see what you see where if you see a bunch of new projects, tons of new supply, it almost feels like kind of like a these later projects feel like a strange Ponzi with extra steps almost and like we're like instead of trading shit coins or leveraging something like people like to trade there it's like the same kind of community trading against each other, if you will. And like, it's almost like looking for the greater fool or like the final bidder, like seeking, like it's like that kind of a game where you buy a a rock, a picture of a rock, and then you want to sell it for more. And I I mean, like, and then now, okay, well, what about the new 10,000 monkeys that are coming tomorrow? The 8,000, you know, I mean, it's just, it's the mutant, now the mutant monkeys, now the punk monkey, punk mutant monkeys, you know, which one's the alien with the cigarette? It's just, it's it's the game can't i mean i kind of agree i kind of see where you're hinting or where the question where you're leading we're like can that game last forever no i mean pretty much no especially as gas fees you know fire up and you're playing you're buying a picture no i mean but then some of that old stuff that you're talking about like will that retain i think yes i mean i think i think that i i think punks are kind of solidified in there in that old category rocks just came out came out like a month like they only became relevant what a couple months ago and now they're yeah you're right they only became relevant a couple months ago but they're old they're not they weren't just yeah they're from 2017 or 16 or sure and there's only 100 of them or so yeah and and yeah i mean so i I think that some of this old stuff the archaeological finds as they call them i don't really love that word but uh, I think that the, I think that those will. I mean, they're always going to be that desirable flex. It seems like at whatever price, at whatever the current price point is. And there you are know, some people you imagine would not be selling for a long time. I mean, I know I know Justin's son bought one of these, and he had an avatar picture that was the Rock with laser eyes or some dumb shit. I think uh, I, I I imagine he's unlikely to sell. You never really know, I guess. But I'm sure for the right price. 
you'll know he's broke when he sells that rock. Yeah, definitely. It's like when poker players sell their watches. Yep. I know that because when I was almost broke, I tried to sell my watch. <laughs> I've got. I've, I've shout to X. Shout, shout to Scott. I sold my. I sold my watch. My obscene watch when I busted. Nice. I just. Very nice. I had a bright. I had a Breitling Bentley that I oh. bought in 06, and it oh, hurt. Nice. It, it dug into my dainty little wrists, Doug. It hurt like hell to fucking wear it and to like do the cards and chips with it. I thought I was a rapper. I don't know what I was doing. I, I still yeah. have a Breitling Bentley. I actually like my 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 Breitling a lot. Um, I think it's a it's a nice watch. But well, you're like yeah. a bigger. You got like a big. You got like the muscles and yeah. shit. It looks kind of sure, right yeah. on you. I just I don't no watches, no jewelry, no tats. That's just that's I don't know. I'm I'm a rarity. I'm now. definitely big. That's that's certainly true. Uh, another I wanted to talk about another topic that that you brought up here briefly because I want to know what happened to this. Do you remember you you mentioned CryptoKitties? What 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 happened to them? Because when CryptoKitties popped off, it was a phenomenon. Everyone was talking about CryptoKitties. It was a huge thing, and then it seemed to completely disappear from the the, the lexicon of mm-hmm. of what people were talking about. What what happened there? Are CryptoKitties still a thing today? You're so they're coming back. So I so I understand, and you're going to have to have on Brian Devonshire to dig into that. He is the biggest. He went hard on those kitties. I didn't mint a kitty. I never really played with the kitties. I remember when they broke the blockchain and I'm pretty sure you're going to, I don't want to, don't quote me on this, do, do your own research, but I'm pretty sure that there was a, uh, the way you mated them, I believe flooded the supply. And I believe that's not only what broke the blockchain, but also made them far less rare. And then thus sort of NBA top shotted themselves, if you will, where all of a sudden the supply was just overwhelming. And people stopped kind of caring. That makes sense. I do remember people talking about the being able to sort of re- reproduce new ones or something. I never got involved. I, I thought it was kind of silly, but um, that I mean, it's, if there's if there's an if there's an infinite supply, then you're screwed. You know, it, it feels like Ponzi-ish to me. And it felt Ponzi-ish to me in like 2018. We're like, why are you buying it? Okay, because you can breed it. Well, why are you breeding it? So you can sell one. And you're just like, well, what are you doing? Like, there's, they actually don't do anything. And like that, that one like kind of hit me hard. Where like a game, like for instance, like Magic the Gathering, if you had cards for a game and then you played and there's a winner. And if there was like some sort of a prize pool that like from card sales, if there was like some economy or fun tokenomics about it, it would like somehow become real to me. But if it's just a cat or just like for some reason that oh, well, doesn't okay. do it for me. Just, okay, but I'm going to push back on that because... What sure. can you really do with a Nakamoto card other than sure. look at it? It's a great How question. Is that Be- I and I it's a good question. And so like the artwork that like the time marking artwork, like the fact that like there's part of the culture is like in every single piece. And especially like as a set, it goes from Nakamoto to Carpellis to just the shitcoin card. Because there's just a couple like there's only the first three or four shitcoins that had started to hit. And then like on like kind of on through the set, Max Kaiser, you know, Stacy. There's just like, there's, it kind of like takes you, it, when I, when I went back and started vaulting and putting them in the gallery and putting on, on OpenSea, like it was like a walk down memory lane for me. When I look at the crypto kitties, it's just like the latest, like, you know, uh, random generated, whatever. Now this one's blue. Now this one's, it's like, it doesn't really do it for me. But isn't and, the problem there, the, the scarcity and the significance and not the fact you can't do anything with it? Isn't that what that is? Because you can't do anything with almost any of these tokens that we're talking about. Sure. 
it's, sure. the, it's, it's those aspects of it that seem the Mike Trout card, the the piece of cardboard, the the baseball card that sold for four million. Same thing. Can't do anything with it. I mean, right. to, to to a similar extent, the Declaration of Independence. You really can't do anything with it. It's the same words you have them. They're printed everywhere. What what is it? It's historically significant, and like we're sort of redefining what that means. You know what the you know what the final form of that thought is of like what is it? What are you buying? Like the the, the final form thought experiment to, for me is invisible Pepe, which is nothing but a clear PNG. And I said there's one for sale right now. There's 1,500 of them. Looney and Mike, the two like essentially like kings of rare Pepe's, they had this idea to mint nothing. It's nothing, oh. Doug. It's an asset. It's a it's a counterparty asset. There's 1,500 of them. There's a limited amount, and the image is a clear PNG, and it's called Invisible Pepe, which is fucking hilarious. And then you sell it, and then it sells for a thousand dollars, and then you're buy you're buying nothing. And then I, you go ask the seller, "Hey, who wants to buy nothing?" God, I, I hate feeling like the resident old man, but at some point, it, it just feels a little too much for me. And I consider myself a man of the digital age. I've been in the crypto streets for a while. I love the DeFi stuff. I believe in the blockchain stuff. I promoted the blockchain stuff for many years now. I, at this point, I mean, I'm not true crypto OG, but I'm definitely in the top couple percent of people that have been around. And can, I'll just, give you, I'll issue you a G pass. Okay. You can just, have a G pass. Just a G, but not, not the OG. Let's just get just the G. Uh, I just can't do some of this stuff. And, and I, I can appreciate the hilarity of it and for the memes and the lulls, but man, a blank PNG. Now we're really, we're really pushing the fucking envelope here, Mike on Doug. Absolutely. This is the, one of the ultimate thought experiments in NFTs. It's nothing. You're buying nothing. You do have the asset, but the asset represents nothing. And here's the here's the crazy part. It's it's the first nothing. People have done nothing since then, but this is a 2016 nothing. You can't this is I mean just even telling the story Doug also. This is this is where it's at. I'm adding provenance to this story by explaining that Looney and Mike, the original creators, decided they laughed about nothing. What if we made nothing? Ha ha ha. Make the print it, make the asset, attach the clear PNG. Now we got nothing. Invisible Pepe. I'm adding provenance. I'm adding so much provenance. They think I'm from Rhode Island. (laughs) Oh God. Wow. Was that was that one prepped or was that off the cuff? Uh, so, I can't lie to you, Doug. That ain't off the dome. I made some okay. notes. That, that would have been, been too can't good. Lie to you, Doug so, so what about this question from, um, well, this guy asks, where do you draw the line? Basically, where are we, we going to draw the line here? If if nothing is something, then how do we know that something is not nothing? And what what is the line anymore? Reminds me of Donald Rumsfeld. There's known knowns. There's known unknowns. And there's unknown unknowns. The point is, is that you can, I mean, really, as an artist, <laughs> then, you know, you give me a ball like this, I'm going to run with it. I'm going to just run with it. You're just allowed, it seems like you're just allowed to do whatever you want these days. And uh, you could you could just print up nothing. You could, well, I mean, you had to Ooh, get the nothing that was printed good, good comment here. How can you call them creators if they created nothing? That's a good, again, we're Fire. at the bleeding edge, bleeding edge of the space right here on Doug Polk's podcast absolute bleeding edge what is something is nothing something 
you know, you know, eat your eat your magic mushrooms and let's fucking debate that shit around the campfire for three and a half hours. But you need to have the original nothing, and because you need the original nothing, it is something. Because if it was nothing, then the originality wouldn't matter. You would just want the nothing. So I think I think honestly it is something at the end of the day. I agree with Doug there. The nothing is something. All right, let's move into something with a little more substance, shall we? Um, <laughs> Anything's going to have more substance than nothing. Very yeah. true. You mentioned NBA top shots. I, this is another thing that I've seen a lot of hype about. Uh, it seems like a centralized entity that's issuing you their own asset. I don't even I don't even know or if it is on a blockchain. I kind of assume it's just not. Maybe it is. Do you, you know anything? You would assume it? wrong. It is oh. on the Flow blockchain, which they essentially oh. developed in order to not have the same CryptoKitties type problems that Ethereum had. Flow, F-L-O-W, is the blockchain that Top Shot assets are on. It is, the Flow blockchain will, uh, the critics will say it is quite centralized and very much a Dapper Labs chain. And I don't know, I don't know much about the technicals to refute or defend that one. But it is, right. they are blockchain assets and they are supposed to be like withdrawable to external wallets soon and all that. I don't okay, think that's cool. happened yet. So it is a blockchain, but it's just very, a very centralized entity that controls all of it and uh, fe- feels a little against the spirit of things to have I agree. A, a company that's just issuing it like that. It feels, I don't know, feels a little wrong to me. When I first bought a pack of Top Shot, and it was like, would you like to run your credit card or or spend ETH? I'm like, oh shit, I'm in the wrong place. Yeah, you know that's that's what Definitely. I'm like. All right, oh, you want to withdraw? Okay, let's 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 get all the KYC information, take your pictures, give me your ID, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's not really for me. And uh, but at the same time, though, I think you kind of have to give Top Shot credit for either launching or maybe helping, at least boosting the NFT craze that started early 2021. I think for most people, that was their first intro to NFTs and Ethereum could be paid for them. So maybe like, okay, well, what is that? And then like, oh shit, real NFTs over here on actual Ethereum. You know, I mean, I think that that probably hit millions of people, millions of kids too. I think Top Shot exposed them to NFTs, start the Google, start the conversation there. So, I mean, we got to give them that credit. They, they did kill point. the golden goose. They killed the golden goose with supply. Early on, that looked like a gold mine that they were going to have. And then they just, they seemingly kind of went for the quick cash grab. They need to bring in someone that specializes in the liquidity of these types of things and really carefully issues supply to not have this happen. Because, yeah, I mean, it seems like the the CryptoKitties problem all over again where you have too much supply. Really, it seems the only way you can fuck up if you have a big NFT is to have too much supply. So there you go. Or too yeah. little. One card. One card caused problems with the with the Pepe's. So yeah. you'd have a nice sweet spot on the supply side. Yeah, ten thousand yeah. guys. T- ten thousand seems like the the sweet spot. I mean, how about Ether Rocks for a hundred? You know, and a lot like yeah. you, know, you know, yeah, definitely fair. All right, let's move away from NFTs. Uh, let's talk about just the crypto markets in general. Where are you kind of at today? What What are your thoughts on the market as a whole right now? Are you dabbling in any in any currencies outside of the the big couple? Um, what, what what are your thoughts? I mean, like, I guess I won't uh, I won't dabble like exactly into personal holdings or anything, but I will say that you can show your bags. It's okay. 
<laughs> everybody loves to do that. You know, everybody loves to, if you ever, like whoever, even listen to me, don't listen to me. Just do your own research. Anything that I say, don't throw out what I say and then go start fresh and research. Anyone that comes on any podcast usually has a motive of some sort to shill something. Now you guys got lucky because I just keeps it fucking real. 100 free Ross. That's the only thing I'm going to be promoting, even though I am kind of promoting Bear Pepe's because I own. I don't know. I guess I am sure. Fine. You know what? I'm no yeah, better than the other assholes. Yeah. I'm you no just, fucking this, better than the Mike, rest. This is the second time this podcast where you tried to pretend to be <laughs> better than these scumbags when you were the scumbag. I, so you need to. You just embrace it at this point. What do we got? What kind of shit coins we we fire? Fair, out? fair, fair. Fair's fair, Doug. Doug, you got me twice. I'm gonna. You know, you've fair. always been. You've always played better than me. Third, third time, watch out. I don't know what happens, but you strike out, so be careful. <laughs> so we're, we're on one, two. Same thesis that I probably said in 18 or whenever I was last on here. Essentially still holds true today. Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum. I mean, probably you got to give a little bit more weight to Ethereum these days. Can we Just actually with- talk about Bitcoin Cash for a bit? Something I didn't think I was going to sure. be saying today. Sure. So Bitcoin Cash, when the initial split happened, I followed it pretty closely just to kind of see what was going on uh, with that community and it was kind of unclear what direction that it was going to head and then i sort of just just lost interest in following it in the last couple of years i know that there was the the whole uh bitcoin sv split again with with craig wright kind of siphoning off some people from there what what's the current status of bitcoin cash what's kind of happening in that community and and it, are there exciting things happening there because from from the outside i just feel like i haven't even heard of bitcoin cash in in quite some time i i mean that's all, all very fair uh definitely you know the I'll, t- I'll tell you how we use it here in antigua there's a company called uh, go crypto uh the Oligma co- corporation from slovenia that makes a really awesome merchant services terminal that we deployed at like six dozen restaurants, gas stations, hardware stores, and you know places around this island of Antigua, and then you pay Bitcoin Cash. That's that's just that's the base currency that we chose because it just has like a less than one cent fee to pay it. So if you're paying for like a twelve dollar something, what currency would you use if you wanted to really try to make crypto on an island of a hundred thousand people that all have smartphones? Like, what would you use for like the basic commerce? You really can't use Ethereum because it's like $4 a click. You really can't use Bitcoin because sometimes it's like two, $3 a click. And Doge? Like, Doge question mark question Doge mark? Doge is not, that's not a terrible, honestly, that's not a terrible choice for very low fee. Now, unfortunately, all the mobile wallets for Doge aren't really there yet. And all the merchant services stuff on the back end, not really there yet because it was just kind of a joke currency until Elon started really shilling it. And to be fair, if they do significant like improvement to the Doge ecosystem and build a bunch of really slick wallets and a bunch of really slick like BTC pay server style merchant services terminals and things, and like a BitPay that actually that will do the fiat conversion easy, you might have something. Like you could actually turn that into something very useful. But for now, for today, BCH has this Bitcoin.com wallet that works really well. That's like it's a great for like I. I was showing some kids I play tennis with crypto and like the easiest way for me to do it is say, download this Bitcoin.com wallet. Here's 40 cents. Watch how quickly it goes. Here's a dollar. Now send a dollar. Now send 30 cents of it to your friend. And like you can just like do that and just give them the intro. You just made a blockchain transaction. Well, what does it do? It doesn't really matter what chain you're using when you like explain what just happened. Why didn't I need an account? Well, because it's a public key, private key pair. You know, you can still have that same convo across basically any blockchain without necessarily needing to incur the fees. 
the fee side of things is is important. I, I will say that Bitcoin fees are at at pretty low lows right now. If you try and transfer on Bitcoin, it is actually quite cheap. Obviously, there are times where that spikes. I'm not sure if Lightning uh, has has helped with that um, to the point where we're not going to see that coming back. Or you say I don't no. think that's what happened. I okay. think that people Break got a lot smarter. Well, I think and and this is a big this is a debate. I think that one Lightning Network did take some of that, but I think it's only like a drop of the bucket of what stuff that used to be on chain moved to Lightning at this point. They might they might take a bigger bite in the future. But I think what happened is that people started doing what they wanted to do, like for instance, within Binance. They want to they they want a long Bitcoin. Okay, well, that's only really one transaction to Binance, and then now they're gonna make dozens or hundreds of other trades within Binance. Or they're going to use FTX and they're going to find a centralized exchange that's going to do what I think a lot of that on-chain transactions were trying to do before. I want to throw it from Coinbase. Now I need to get it onto Bybit because I want to 100x leverage some bullshit and quickly lose it and lose it really fast. I want to really accelerate how how I'm, I'm firing it off. And I think that that's what a lot of that on-chain stuff, and I think people got smarter is what I think a lot of it. And then again, people aren't really using Bitcoin. They're like, okay, I need to get like, you know, 50K worth because I don't want to get destroyed by inflation. And now I want this much in the stock market and I'm going to have this much in my crypto holdings on my treasure. They do one, they do one transaction and then they're not interacting on the blockchain for the next, you know, two months, two years. Well, well, as fees increase, you have to be more specific with what you do. For example, with a lot of Ethereum, DeFi stuff, decentralized finance stuff. When you make these transactions, uh, if you do it at the wrong time, when gas is high, it could cost you hundreds of dollars. I've seen transactions where I'm considering doing, doing something. I look at the price, it says $1,000. Not going to do that today. We're going to wait for a day where it's not $1,000 to do the thing that I want to do. And by the way, hey, I have two or three more things I have to do after that in order to you know, finish what, I, what I'm doing for the day. So I do think that people ha- are being a little more specific with the way that they use these chains. And, and I think that the fact that so many other chains are growing and and have use cases probably helps Bitcoin kind of move over into more of that store of value where people aren't using it for daily transactions. And funny enough, that actually frees up transactions so that people could use it for daily transactions if they choose to. Yeah. You know, I, I think at, at current prices or at current prices for, for uh, moving money, I think the Bitcoin does does work. I guess my question would be, if you think that Bitcoin Cash has these great properties as actually using as a currency, it has the properties that maybe Bitcoin was supposed to have originally. I don't want to get into that debate. But why hold any Bitcoin Cash, right? Why wouldn't you just use that for transactions in places where you need to have transactions? Why would I? Why would you own part of the the, the, the currency for that? I mean, if you're if you if you just wanted to speculate on that idea becoming, you know, worldwide and, you know, very widespread, then, you know, as more people use Bitcoin cash, that price would certainly increase. You know, that's, that's one reason why you would hold it. You just think that that adoption is going to continue. You know, yeah, but I mean, it, it, sorry, not to cut you off, but no, just to jump in yeah, for a second again. If we're going to play the adoption game, and I think, I, I think I, I actually most specifically, this most specifically applies to Bitcoin forks and, and other things using the Bitcoin name. When people hear Bitcoin, they're gonna they're gonna eventually one person will win and and it has been Bitcoin. Bitcoin the Bitcoin versus Bitcoin Cash battle was won by Bitcoin. And I feel that puts Bitcoin Cash in a very weird spot where 
it can never truly get away from the fact that it's named a Bitcoin, but it is not Bitcoin. It, it almost feels like they need to to rebrand or or put themselves in. They, I, I know the community would never do that because they th- they view themselves as Bitcoin, but they're not. And so if you look at the price over the course of the last several years, this thing has not really gone up very much, especially compared to these other assets. And what do they really have? What mechanisms do they really have to bring people in besides, hey, we kind of pretend to be Bitcoin, but we're not. We're what Bitcoin should have been. What can they do to bring people in? It's it's like all those criticisms are absolutely valid and like and just and like you know you're you're exactly right that price sort of does reflect that stagnant nature of that community over the last couple of years. You're right. Bitcoin obviously won. I mean that's just that's anybody that debates that is you know is you know you kind of question the sanity. Like you got to open your eyes. They have won for now. That community is stagnant for now. Uh, as the Bitcoin fee hits the floor, then like well. The, the the use cases for Bitcoin Cash become clearly less. The only, you know, should the mempool become clogged again and transactions become, you know, $8, $25 again, okay, you would have like, you know, a lane once again. There's a, I mean, you know, to answer, to like kind of not answer, but also answer your question is that we're running it live in the marketplace. Like this is, this happened in 17. This is like three, four years later, you know, that like you know are is bitcoin cash down bad now i guess you know if they they continue to innovate there's like this bitcoin cash smart chain that launched like a few like a week ago to try to do kind of like ens type stuff or uh em whatever the the same thing binance chain and like ethereum does with you know the mass tokenization and like so they're going to try that they're going to like experiment with that so it's like sort of like kind of a great ongoing experiment and to say like it lost like I guess, yeah, I, I guess, but like, it's also still there. The chain still exists. So like, you can still use it for less than a penny and it's still on like every exchange. So like as like a value transfer, you can still I, do I, like a cross-border value transfer cheaply. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, like, it's just. Yeah. So it, when it forked, it was $440 or $400 or so today it's trading at 660. So when I say it, it's lost, I don't mean that it's a, it's an abandoned chain. It's not, sure. it has a, it has a, Actually, I had um I had a buddy that was debating taking a bet, or I forget if he did take the bet, where he had to bet on, I think three, three currencies that uh, five years from today were going to be up money or something like that, or up money versus versus some metric. I forget what it was. This was uh, a Timex tweet. I remember wanting to fire. It had to be in the top fifty or something. I like had a, I, I had a friend that bet on I, this, and basically, I had Solana FTT, and I forget the other one. I thought for something like that, Bitcoin Cash was actually a pretty reasonable bet because what I can say about Bitcoin Cash is that it has a very dedicated community. They've been there for a long time and they're not here to make a buck quickly today. That's not going anywhere. So the dedication of that community makes it very safe in that if you own Bitcoin Cash today, I would be kind of shocked if you lost 80% of your money. I just don't think that that's really that possible with Bitcoin Cash. Maybe, maybe a huge drawdown, but I, I don't see that happening. Um, I think you also limit your upside pretty tremendously, but I think you, you get something that's a little a little more stable. And, and I mean, if you look at the way that the price has been over the last four years, I think that that sort of bears out a bit. I mean, there would have to be some killer payments app. There would really have to become 
I mean, for Bitcoin Cash to make waves to really increase in price from an investment standpoint, first of all, I don't think the ceiling is capped. I would disagree with that. I would say that, like, you know, if if that worked, if that one really worked, but there's and there's also a lot of things that could kill BCH. Like if if Bitcoin decided to raise the block size all of a sudden, which I know you're like not allowed to enter that debate because it's been like so furiously uh, debated. That's weird. For by the way, that was weird it, how it got it, like that. It is, and I've always tried to argue it honestly. And then whenever I say, well, what about this point for a bigger block size? They're like, you're a B-cash shitcoiner. You got to get out of here, man. And I'm like, well, no, but like, I think Bitcoin's better like for today because it's more widely accepted and it's got a larger value store. And then the big, then the, then the Bitcoin cash will want to kick me out. And I agree. And it's weird. You, you're not allowed to talk about that. You're like, hey, what if the block size was raised? And then you're really not allowed to like discuss that anymore, which is kind of strange. I think you should... You should do a whole show. Fucking block size debate. Let's do it again. It's been four years since we've had those raging battles. Yeah, that, that conversation wouldn't die. And then it did die and it hasn't come back. But I, it, is, it is strange to me that we, we really have decided that we're not going to even entertain the block, the block size increase um, debate. And, and, and also, originally, there was going to be more of a middle ground that was going to be met with the block size. And ultimately, this is one of the things that led to the fork um, was that uh, the Bitcoin core dev side basically really didn't want to do it. We don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but you know, no, but nothing, it's, it's, there's nothing, there's nothing inherently wrong with increasing block size. And, or, or, or just how about just like having the discussion, running some models, like doing like an honest discussion, not like arguing for one side or against another, but just like having an open, like actual, like open mind discussion about it. And I mean, just, I think it's important just to say one Satoshi did essentially say like this one meg, uh, block size cap is just is artificial and like we'll raise it when it just to me it just looked like he was like all right we're going to raise it when when you know if when usage ever gets there and the second point is that it's it's a very interesting time and actually it's funny the pepe card sort of marked this in 17 when the split happened bitcoin cash the chain we call bitcoin cash was so close to being bitcoin that was so close to being what you call bitcoin today and like what you what we call bitcoin today being called something like bitcoin small or bitcoin core or something that was razor thin on which chain won and again first time ever run in the marketplace first time ever tried if enough businesses and people just said okay yeah the one with the increased block size that's the one we call bitcoin there's no company there's no trademark there was no i mean that's that's just it was a very interesting happening that'll be studied for a long time that needs a that needs a much deeper dive to really get how close and, and really, it was a marketing and branding matter, is what really is what really happened. And then a bunch of nerds sort of decided, again, not by any one thing. Like it just it just sort of happened that way. That's just kind of how it ran. Well, so, one last thing I want to talk about in the Bitcoin caching, and then we can move on so we can show the rest of your bags. But um, <laughs> do you not think, going back to what I said a, a, a couple minutes ago, that? marketing this around bitcoin is is bad for for bitcoin cash because the first thing that people are going to see when they see bitcoin cash is wait is it bitcoin and they're oh it's not bitcoin and they have to have that happen over and over again to any potentially new person whereas if this was marketed something completely different then people wouldn't realize that they wouldn't have to go through this oh it's not bitcoin which is what every person has to say whenever they learn about bitcoin it's a, cash it's a difficult discussion and like you know 
we deployed a lot of stuff. We try a lot of stuff with crypto out here. That's like part of what I do out here is that we just, you know, deploy some ATMs, some merchant services terminals, see if we can get, see if we can rally the government to, you know, become more accepting and to like really ingrain this stuff in everyday life. And that's the first question. That's like one of the first, uh, uh, you know, questions that are answered. So wait, so wait, Bitcoin cash, is it different than Bitcoin? Well, hey, I want to, you know, I want to jump into Bitcoin and Bitcoin, you know, oh, it's the same. It's different. Yeah. And it's it models the discussion. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that it's not one chain. It was so easy pre to from 2016 and from the beginning till 2016. You're only talking about one thing. You know, now it's just the the discussion has become a schizophrenic array of everything from a couple fairly legitimate things to outright safe moon like scams and and like and yeah, it, the discussion is modeled. Bitcoin Cash branding is a bad branding, sure. You know, you don't really get, you know, you don't really get a chance. There's no no board is like thinking this out. You didn't hire an outside consultancy. It just fucking kind of happened. It's like, what do we call it? Fine, we'll call. It, oh, they're not gonna they're gonna fork. Okay, fine, call it Bitcoin Cash because we can use it as cash. Fine, go run with it. Don't Print call it Bcash though. Don't call it Bcash. <laughs> Make it green instead of orange. Whatever. Let's just just go. That's that's really what happened. Like that's how that's how it came to be. You know, and you just have to run with it. Well, certainly something I think for that community to think about. All right, so Bitcoin Cash. I mean, what what, what are some of the smaller things that you're 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 dabbling in these days? Oh, you want the hot picks? Oh, this isn't market mania. Market Guys, mania. R.I.P. <laughs> rest in peace. Uh, actually, let's talk about market mania for a moment. So you and Matt Glantz. Uh, and I think Brett Ritchie, if I remember, I think it was you three, had a market show where you would basically do episodes, and you think you did them daily, where you would talk about what was happening in in the market. I actually came on for an app. Yeah, you came on the and, show, and and you would talk about the happenings for that day. I thought it was a pretty condensed, put together, nice show for people that wanted to know what was happening in the markets. What was the story with that? I mean, you guys stopped making it a, a few months ago, I think. What what happened there? Yeah. I think we did it for about a year. We did a hundred and something episodes almost daily. And uh, Tony, the producer is the guy that put that together. And he is just a absolute maestro at, at, at doing something like that. And it was really fun. We had like a shit ton of fun doing it. We had a great time your episode too, if I recall. And just like, it's, it's just hard to do that. It's hard. Like we wanted, we wanted to watch basically CNBC, but if like they kept it real, if you're like, look at this bullshit that happening, you know, like if they actually called out scams instead of just, pump their bags like always and like we did that and i think we did that like we made it we got a lot of positive feedback from it and you know we got our couple thousand subscribers but like you know it's it's not we all have other shit that we're doing like we're all doing like you know fairly boss level stuff and like to take that hour hour and a half every every day to do it started to get just to kind of wear on you it just felt felt like a job for a little while there and then you know, but then something big would happen and we'd get to tee off and tell the internet our thoughts. And it felt wonderful to do that. You know, you get a little bit of that. You get a little bit of that I, juice I've, when you I've, do I've, this show. I've teed off every now and then. And it feels good, right? It feels you're good. Like, I yeah. need to, you're like, I need to get this out. I can't walk around with all this built up. I need to fucking blast this. I need to really tell them how it is from, from me. They need to hear it from me. Yeah. It, it felt good like that, but I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it as much. I've done that. I, I like doing this, but I just, I don't want to do it every day. I don't want to do it every day. I feel I that. Go play tennis with the daughter. I, so I, I actually had a, a very similar realization because I used to make a YouTube video every day. And then I got to this point where I realized that it was just simply 
too too much to do and it also burns you out and so that's one of the reasons why i started this podcast was i can do one or two apps a week actually this week is weird we have three uh but i can do one or two apps a week talk about subjects i'm interested in have people on i like to talk to and it's not going to feel like i'm grinding this out every day have to prep a bunch of stuff have to be here at a certain time i can just have one or two times a week where i do my thing and uh i think i think that keeping content manageable you get stuck in this circle in content today which is if you want to succeed on platforms they're really volume games especially youtube the way the algorithm works is really a volume game and so you want to play that game optimally and grind it out and build something but you have to make trade-offs on okay it might be a volume game and if it's your main thing it's your it's your job this is what you're doing then by all means but if you have other businesses if you're managing your money if you have other responsibilities if you have a family whatever else you have going those are real things that take time and you have to kind of strike that balance and and that's one of the reasons why i kind of like um what i'm doing today where i i now have a form of content where i can tee off every now and then and and have people on that i like to talk to but um you know still kind of strike that having a life balance and by the way guys if you enjoy this podcast make sure to hit that subscribe button we're on every platform spotify itunes youtube facebook we, we're live on twitch right now make sure you subscribe and follow the podcast show some support uh if you like these things feel free to hit that thumbs up button but really just make sure you follow and and uh let the good people know that this this podcast has great content if you do think it does which you know up to the the beauty beauty is in the eye of the beholder anyway <laughs> uh going back to shilling your bags what other bags we got to show <laughs> What? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. That, that's that's great. No, I mean I think I think that you run a you run a tight shift. You do run a good you do run a good shit. Appreciate that. So it you. is it is good. I don't know what you're doing. If I had if I had Doug Polk, uh, if I was all set up like you were, I don't know if I'd turn this shit on every week or every every couple times a week. I think I might just sail off into the sunset. But you have to factor in though it. that I like that I like to talk and I, I like I like to you I, know. I get it. Have people hear me. So I, I need that. I need that rush. Right. So you, it, yeah, I'm, I've got I think in. I can get my fix coming on here every couple of years. I think I can okay. get, I think I can get one good, like mainline every few years here. And then, uh, <laughs> that I don't know if I need to start anymore. It would actually be kind of epic to have a podcast where once every eight months, you just fire it up and talk about, you know what fucking bothers me? And you just fire <laughs> See, off for, for, for three hours. And then you just, you just disappear for nine months. You come back. Hey, what about this shit that would actually be kind of amazing and epic but but people wouldn't know about it because there'd be tfu episodes but you know something to think about really can't uh, the content game uh, yeah uh, i think i'm retired man. i think i'm retired i'm like okay. i might although i might fomo back into vegas for the world series this year that's just i might just play the covid uh the covid card championship oh, yeah so let's talk about some some poker stuff i i know that everyone that the poker be like yes finally live through all the goddamn <laughs> nft and bch stuff so you playing the series this year? What, what are your thoughts on the recent uh, the recent decision to make it mandatory vaccination for the World Series poker? <laughs> One, I'll be playing the GG series. I've been firing on that bullshit. Just when it comes around, I mean, I'm sitting out here in Antigua, so you can play. Like, I mean, like I just I fire the online bracelet, which is just so funny. And then I think it's been like five or six years since I've seen all my friends in Vegas, and like I just it's a little bit too long. And uh, might FOMO in for a week. Got to get out of here. Been been stuck here for a while during the during the whole uh, 
pandemic and uh, they requiring the vaccines. I mean, like everyone's going to be like, everybody's their own fucking idiot pundit on this. It's a, it's a, a, a VP has a da- an analyst say, okay, if we require vaccines, what's the insurance numbers look like? Okay. What's the liability? And they come to a number and they're like, well, it's minus 3.6 million if we don't do the vaccine, but it's only minus 700,000 if we do require vaccines. Like, okay, print it up. We require vaccines for the World Series. There's no like greater, there's no Illuminati comes in, Bill Gates implants everybody with 5G to make them require the vaccine. There's no greater conspiracy here. It's a fucking line item that it came down to. That's why they did it. And I mean, what, I mean, do I think it's right? No. Like, do I, you know, am I going to make a tweet about it? No. Who cares? They can do whatever the fuck they want. They made the greediest decision possible as expected. End of story. Play it. Don't. Who cares? That's fine. Get get on your platform and blast if you really hate that. I understand. A younger me might have. Yeah, I actually I think that I, I I've not heard anyone put it so succinctly that it's essentially capitalism and that this is a company and they looked at the trade-off here financially and really the liability is going to be significantly higher if they have unvaccinated people there and so they probably just went with the option that made them more money which is kind of comforting in a way you know capitalism at work and and they're doing capitalistic things to, to make themselves money the weird part is that the dealers do not have to be vaccinated. is that true is that, that serious that, they, that is a serious I, I i don't know if that's up to date come on is that, is that really? Look, are you serious? Don't shoot You're the messenger, you. okay? I'm I'm not punking you. I, this is this is just I report punked. the good news, Mycon. That's what I do. I, I I report the good news, and my understanding is that they the dealers do not have to be vaccinated. I think that it is hard to get dealers right now. Not surprising. I don't know why dealers would be there'd be a shortage of dealers during a time where there's a global pandemic going on, and everyone's super angry about it and arguing all the time. And apparently, I, I, shocker. Shocker that yeah. there aren't people signing up for that that job in in, right. in droves, but yeah, I, I think my understanding is, and, and feel free by the way, Chad, to correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong on this. I, I think the dealers do not have to be vaccinated. I, I really don't. Fo- I really only follow it just from the. I follow my poker friends on Twitter, and that's like kind of how I follow the poker world now. I don't really read or anything about it. I don't really play very much. I guess I might play some World Series events this year, but. I unusual. I don't. It doesn't like occupy my thoughts on a daily basis. Never think about poker anymore. And uh, and and if that, I mean, just don't kid yourself that like all of a sudden, like vice presidents of of like multi of like multi hundred million dollar entities are all of a sudden like on your side or want to protect you or keep you safe. Like they just want to make money. That's it. They just want to not lose money. You know, it's just it's a line item. Like they don't care if the world if the if the the Dealers aren't vaxxed and like all the players have to be vaxxed. Like what? Ugh. Ugh. Like I, I, making some, I wouldn't make, I wouldn't make somebody get a vaccination. I mean, like, I don't know. I just wouldn't like force you, but like, that's me. I'm more of a, I don't give a fuck kind of guy. You're, like, you're, you're a big a, government guy, Mycon. We know this. <laughs> we know this about you. There's one thing about Mycon, big government. Not a fan of anybody telling me what to do uh, for any reason at all ever. What, what's it like living in Antigua, by the way? Is that is that where you're, you're set up permanently? Yeah, yeah, I've been here out here five years or so. You know, my kid's a Caribbean baby. She gets cold if we 
travel and we're in like air conditioning. She's like, I'm cold, daddy. And, and this is hilarious. I grew up with snow. It's, it's, you trade infrastructure for freedom out here. You give up some infrastructure, you get a little freedom. You just drive around. You know, I don't know, no one's, you don't get pulled over for a tail light out. You know, that's not something a speeding ticket doesn't exist here. No mail. Don't have a mailbox. It's great. That's strange. Yeah. It's, yeah. I know a little, I mean, you know, you could, I have, a, there's one in town. It's, it's just, it's just, there's easier. I just, you know, you just, I went to tennis camp. I just started hitting tennis balls with like the best, one of the best junior tennis players. Just because that's just like who's around, that's just who plays tennis. And like, it's just, I don't know. It's like a really like kind of low key. I don't know. It's hard to explain. You got to come many, out here, Doug. I'll show how, you. That. How many people live in Antigua? There's a hundred thousand people. Okay. hundred thousand people here. Yeah. 12 and, by and 14, 12 miles its, by 14 miles. It's its own country. Yeah, Antigua and Barbuda is a country. It's a Commonwealth okay. nation. Technically, the Queen owns it, but not really. Okay. Not in practice. Yeah, fun little place. Okay. Cool. Little bored. Little bored. Been here a couple of years now. You know, pandemic. Usually fly a little bit more. A little bit bored. Not going to lie to you. But I you know, see, I'm, I could see getting a little bit, a little bit boring. But you know, you're speaking my can't language. Complain. Personally, I'm a big freedoms guy, and uh, that's why I made the the trek out here to Texas. You know, get a little bit of that sweet, sweet freedom. Not reproductive freedom, but uh, yeah, not female well, reproductive I, but freedom, but other thought, freedoms. I'm a man, so I'm not worried about these things here in Texas. Ooh. You know, as a feminist, I can't move to Texas anymore. Sorry, I was looking at Austin. I was looking hard at Austin, just like slide into one of those fucking. Just they'll give you money at three percent to buy whatever you want, whatever it's monstrosity actually, you want to buy. It's actually kind free. of insane. It's kind of insane. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, just just the the fact you can borrow money so cheaply and uh the market here is nuts though you have to really fight people off to try and get yourself I, a little a little piece of the pie i've i looks it looks beautiful and like i was i like i like oscillate between nah fuck this just burn all this down just go buy a buy a big house and you know all the nice stuff in america and get doordash and drive a tesla and I mean, like, it just sounds fun, but then, like, I don't want, but then, like, I don't know, then, like, I'll go hit tennis balls with this kid, and, like, I'm like, ah, oh, god damn it. How, how could you needs be me. into the rare Pepe is because of the counter, the counterculture art, and then also want to own a Tesla. Those, those seem on absolute <laughs> polar ends of the spectrum. I, I, I don't have a Tesla. They're nice cars. I almost feel like I can't own a Tesla because I just don't want to, I don't want all the baggage that comes with owning a Tesla. And I also don't want to be a part of that group of people. I, I'm kind of happy being in the not Tesla camp, you know, I like, to, become a meme I like to, of yourself. I like to burn fossil fuels, like a real red blooded American. <laughs> oh, Doug. I, I mean, first of all, that shit is not, I don't even care about the culture. That shit's nice. That shit like is like a futuristic supercar. That's like the video game car that you, I envisioned when I was 16. I don't know. It yeah. looks, but no, I, I know what you're saying. Duality of man, sir. That's how the duality of man. That's just, you know, I'm a, I'm a basic bitch inside. Honestly, I am a basic bitch when it really comes to it. I just like the same average things that dudes like, you know, like steak and having sex. And like, that's like, I mean, that's just like, I just like it's just like very simple. It's very base level. Like I don't need anything crazy really. Like it just, regular dudes like yeah I don't know. yeah I, i'd actually i'd put both of those in my top five too so i'm not i'm not that far behind you <laughs> just um, like a regular normal guy I don't know. going back to normal to the world series of poker though so what what events are you playing this summer what 
you say you don't think about poker yeah. much. Do you still play anything actively at all, or are you just coming in there blind and swinging? I mean, I no. I do. I play anything actively? No. I mean, when GG came along and like I could just fire on some LOL online bracelets. Okay, twenty million guaranteed for five. Like you know, all right. I'll I'm gonna throw my hat in the ring. It looks like a fun gamble. I haven't played in a while, so it's a little bit exciting to me to play. Like when I played every day, I kind of didn't really. I don't know. It got to a point. I was such a fanboy of the World Series. Like when I came out when I was 26, the first time in 06, like I was in heaven. Meet Alan Kessler. I'm like, you know, on in my, I'm like, holy shit, it's Alan Kessler. This is fucking awesome. And like, you know, I would. I, Alan Kessler? That was the guy. I don't know. It was big for me. I <laughs> just liked it. I was like, I'm like, look, there he is. Like they all talk about him. Like, is he really like kind of weird? No. Did you watch not, him get a min cash or something? Was that exciting? I, I saw him in the stud eight event and like, he was like, he was like, I know you, I, I look at your forum. I'm like, fucking Alan Kessler looks at my forum. This is awesome. And I'd go on to become friends with him. I like Alan a lot. I like Alan. Like I genuinely like to hang out with Alan for hours on end. I really do. It's fucking comforting. He walks in, we're walking into the M. He just head nods a guy for at the, in the buffet. And the guy just starts cooking him up eight plain chickens, eight plain chicken breasts. And I'm like, People make fun of him like, oh, like he's weird. Like, no, this guy fucking lives his best life. Like this guy walks around every day living his best life exactly how he wants it. And I just respect, I don't know. I just respect that. It's like he's playing he just, he just, chicken breasts. It's like this. He walks in, he just, and just like all of a sudden the guy just starts like immediately just fire it out. He gives him a whole plate, you know, seven and a half minutes later, gives him a plate of, of thin grilled chicken breasts, plain. <laughs> it's amazing. I just didn't know this guy. This guy had this side to him. Yeah, it just it just no. But I mean, when I went when I went out there, it was like also the Great Migration. I think you come a few years later because you're not old enough, if I recall. In 06, or no, you come in 06? No, you don't come in 06. Um, no, I was born in '88. So I was born in '88. So oh, nine, my then. first one I could play was 09. Uh, I was born winter. So my first one was 2010. So in 06 is like I, poker stars. I may have, call- I may have dabbled in some cash games before then, but I, I can't confirm or deny that oh, that occurred. The statue of limitations, I think, are up on that. I don't oh, know then exactly I definitely that. played in some cash games back in back then. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Was a great like online meeting. It was like the great online poker meeting summer was '06, and it was just fucking beautiful. And like just like these some of these guys you battled with for the last two years. And like you know, and you're just like, oh wow, you're WCG rider. Oh wow, like I'm fucking. You know, I'm Mikeon. Yeah. Like, well, what's your username? Why is it? Oh, it's just my last name. It's like, what? I don't know. It's like all the old school guys, Lil Hold'em, RIP. And just like, I don't know, like um, fucking Jordan Morgan. I just remember like Gank, Dutch Boyd, Scott Fishman at the time. These are like my like, wow, I can't believe I, I can't believe I get to smoke weed with these people now. <laughs> like, it was just like really, it was like, it was like, wow, this is like, this is like my friend now. And it was like, it was, it was like, uh, you see Eric Seidel, Doyle Brunson's there, like all the people that you looked up to. It was like this great meeting of Hollingwell, if anybody remembers that blaster. Yeah. Back in Hollingwell, Poker Stars. Yeah. He had yeah. the at sign, right? Yeah. 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 He got that lost was... in like, in the Sapphire Strip Club for like three days. And like, he just came back. We just like lost him in the strip club. I, I think they just like, didn't come they... out. They kind of they kind of closed down shop uh, early morning at the Sapphires. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I I hate strip clubs. By the way, I actually hate it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Your recent just, top five list sounded like maybe you don't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, 
but that yeah it was like it was such a crazy party of like all the online kids that met each other for the most of us met each other for the first time that like every world series since then i i guess has gotten like progressively kind of well, maybe there was like a uptick because i couldn't wait to see those guys again the next summer and then the next summer and like honestly like i part of the series for me was more like a social event like i couldn't wait for like the first break to like smoke weed in the parking lot with like bodog ari and like i mean just like and like teammate I just like, this is like what I wanted to do. Like, I love that conversation. Hey, how are you guys doing? What are you guys up to the last year? And just like reconnecting with everybody, the parties, like the 4th of July party. I don't know. It was like, it was like fun. It was just so much fun to like, I can't, I was there for like the people. I was never even that good. I don't think I was that good. I don't know. Maybe, maybe in 06, 07, 08, then everybody got better. But I was, I was just going to FOMO into the 25K horse this year. I think I still got a shot to like get dealt. And then win that one. Well, you know what, Mycon, you're in luck because I'm actually going to be gifting you a free upswing poker course. What <laughs> the value? Take your pick, any course on upswing poker, uh, the lab, or any advanced game course. You seem like someone that might want to get into a little bit of heads up. Maybe not, then that's not your cup of tea. Perhaps the mixed game course by Jacob Dalla. Get your mixed game to where they need to be mm-hmm. to take on that horse event. In fact, that course specializes in most of the events most of the game types in horse and uh, maybe some tournament MTT sessions, free course on the house compliments of upswing poker. Appreciate you coming on today. Mike on, you can that take your a, pick. You can let me that know. That is a lovely gift. That is a, that is a very thoughtful gift. Doug Polk. Thank you very much. It I'm was my pleasure. To, I'm going to take you up. I would like, can I give you something back? Is that, am I allowed to give right after you give? Oh, is it, I want to give you a gift, gift exchange. This is like a gift exchange. Yeah, this is adorable. Nice. This is like what what middle aged men do. We're on middle age. You're still <laughs> gift <kind of> exchanges. <laughs> it's, it's what we do. We go on podcasts. We, also, we fill our bags, and we, we call kind of, and, and we call our friends older than they are. That's we stroke <laughs> each other ego. We stroke each other's ego, and <laughs> that's right. Doug's Doug's much younger than me. Just I want everybody to know that Doug is much younger than me. I am a middle aged man. Uh, and Doug is still a young gun, up I'm and coming. Fire, fire! You know he's got piss and vinegar still filled with it. I'm giving you a signed soda Papinski. I'm I'm going to sign it. Okay. A lot of people. <laughs> I I get. I'm. This is what I'm doing. I think I'm the first person to do this, and I'm announcing it right here on Doug Polk's podcast. And I'm showing my bags for the third time. <laughs> So the Soda Papinski is the asset that I created in 2017. It is part of the Rare Pepe set. Luckily, the scientists accepted it back then. Series 20, 27, card nine. I also recently issued, there's 888 Soda Papinskis in the world that were issued. I recently created Soda Papinski dot signed, which is a sub asset that you can issue on Counterparty. And then I took a Soda Papinski and I grabbed my note my Samsung note pen, and I signed one. And then, so now I include the signed asset along with the regular Papinski from 17 in one emblem.finance vault. And then you have one signed by the artist, Brian Mikan. Provenance added. It's an honor to own my first outright NFT. First one. This is your, what? Yeah, I own some shares of some other ones, but I, this is my first outright NFT. This is this is oh this is a pleasure this is great. Uh, also also so I'm gonna take that Pepe, 
and I'm going to put it in a vesting period. I'm 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 going to leave it there because I want to see how this all the fud subside. See where these things are at down the road. I'm going to put it in a five year vesting period. Okay, so five years, you come back on the pod, then we'll both safely be middle aged, and we'll see where that where that baby's at. Okay, five years. I love it. Love Let's it. Do you it. can do whatever you want with it. If time I appreciate tough, it. If times get tough, you know you jettison the Papinski sign. I mean, I, you know. I, Actually, I, I didn't manage to sell my watch last time I went bust, so I've got some liquid stuff. It, that, that'll okay. come first. Okay, we'll, we'll have the vesting period in place unless, unless times get hopefully can, not that tough. You can fractionalize them too now. Somebody fractionalized the number one, and then there's like a Uniswap pair for it and everything. Fractional.art is the, is the protocol that does it. And you just throw out an asset. In this case, you have the emblem vault with the XCP asset in there, and you, and you fractionalize it. And then it's it's a crazy system. It's now, absolutely. I want, I want the whole pie, Mycon. Sorry, I want the whole pie. I'm 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 not I'm not fractionalizing <laughs> shit. We'll see where this thing's at in five years, and hopefully, I will be much richer, and I and I will have you you to thank for that. And um, I also I I was told you you wanted you were interested in in in, in a Doug hat, the official the official Doug hat, as as seen on. My YouTube channel. I, I have this for for was for your was it wife? I think wife, correct? Wife, something like that. What's it? This is it. This is a. Can I get it? Can I get that signed? Of is course. that like? Are you going to sign yours? It's going to be. Uh, I can only do it physically though. Is that okay? Or does it that's have to fair. Be in the no, that's fair. That's fair. It does not need okay. to be. Does not need to be in the blockchain. Okay, well, good <laughs> because the hat is not on the blockchain, so it's worth a lot less. In fact, I think if I if I made an NFT of the Doug hat and sold it one of one. Probably worth a lot more than than the Doug hat itself. So you know, it's things to think about. I'll I'll ship you one out signed signed as well. Uh, all right. So before we go here, uh, this is a new thing. I'm, I want to make sure I'm going to start doing with crypto guests because people have have wanted this from the guests when we talk about cryptocurrency stuff. Any price predictions? I mean, I'm even going to throw NFTs in there. Any price predictions for our our good the good people here on the channel so that they can either make some money or avoid losing some money. What what do you got, Mike Con? Oh, this is like the pick of the day all over again. The I mean, I I don't really make price predictions. It's just you show your ass when you do it. I mean, okay, he's he's bearish, guys. He's bearish. Uh, <laughs> I would say that I would say there's a like laser eyes Bitcoin hundred k. <laughs> oh God, it's so hard. I really don't make short term price predictions. I really don't. Do I? Do I think like? And I'm long-term bullish on, I think Solana is like really interesting kind of story with their like shitting out NFTs everywhere and like kind of pretending to be ETH. I think that that narrative is going to continue. And I mean, yeah. Bitcoin is just, it's just Bitcoin now. Now Bitcoin is Bitcoin. I mean, micro strategy, they can't stop aping into that shit. Like people are going to use it as an inflation hedge. It's just like it's that it's that it is digital gold. That narrative sort of is here. Like that's kind of what it is used for now. And I think you can't ignore that. I think that as the US dollar continues to print, I think that the deflationary, you know, crypto is going to continue to, you know, be deflationary and continue to increase in USD terms. It's hard to throw out a laser eyes hundred K price target. Yeah. ETH is ETH is on fire. I mean, ETH, ETH is ETH being fire. used. Celebrities like NFTs. Celebrities want fucking NFTs now. Like, like ETH is, I mean, the layer two solutions for ETH look interesting too. Like QuickSwap is like really interesting to me. Like the Matic, you know, Polygon Matic. 
uh, like a lot of the Decentraland uh, stuff has been moving that direction and just try to try to save those fees. Like, I mean, it just, it looks like it, I think everything Ethereum is just, I mean, how could you not be super bullish on that? Also, Ethereum at some point will become deflationary. It's not currently, but with EIP-1559, they, they took some serious steps in that direction with the burn rate. I thought it um, was. I thought it was burning them now. Am I wrong? It is burning them, but it's still net inflationary. Oh, okay. Okay. Is my block reward is more I, than I, the burn. I think, I think that it... I'm going to say some stuff that... I'm going to say something that could be very wrong. So please, Ethereum experts in the chat, let me know if I'm incorrect. But I want to say that it decreased how inflationary it is by about 80%. So it's about 20% as as much inflation today as there was before EIP 1559. And that ultimately within the next one to two years that it will become actually deflationary. Again, feel free to correct me in the chat if I'm wrong on that one. Um, but yeah, that's my understanding. All right. And I will, uh, I will fiend ignorance here because I just, it's horribly understudied. Horribly understudied in terms of like how EIP one five five nine works. I mean, I know what happens. I read, and then I read that it was going to start burning some fees. But you're probably right that the block reward probably out outruns the fee burn over to, like every single block. I would bet just based on facts and knowledge of yeah. The That's usually what we bet on. Facts and knowledge tend to be good things to to base your bets on. Yeah, but please school so, us. People that actually know Solidity, please school us. Um, World takes a booger this summer, so you're going to play the 25K Horse. Any other events you have circled on that? I'm like 75% to FOMO in for that. Um, I've, I'm, I'm like I'm like just trying to like run it in my head. And I'd probably, I'd probably come a week or two. I'm probably, I'm not going to, not the, I'm not a grinder. I don't really care that much. Can't be away from my daughter for that long. Like, it's just like, time. I don't know. Like, it's just like. After I'm sure I'll, I'll have fun for a few days, and then it'll be like sitting in the Rio, like just registered. I'm like, oh, oh my, what the fuck have I done? I'm gonna sit here for three days if I'm lucky in the Rio. Like, oh, what have I done? What have I done? Get out! Get on an airplane! Get leave! Like, let's get out of here. I could just tell I'm gonna have that feeling. I'm gonna like go there, travel, see all the. Fr- There's a bunch of friends I want to see. I'm I'm there for the people. I don't even care about the poker. I kind of want to play that 25k horse. That, that I think that I think I'll get it out. Just run run a tournament. I don't know if I I don't think I could I don't think I could play for a month or two. I don't think I could do that anymore. I think I think that I think that's done for me. At least for I now. would never I would never worry about the final day. So if you see a three or four day event and you think oh so long oh man I have to play the fourth day. Yeah. Anytime you make the final day where you're at the final table, you are pumped. You're, you you sure. are never thinking oh no I have to play day four oh. No, your final table. What's my stack? What's up top? Who's at my table? How do I like my seat? What are my chances here? No, no one ever on the final table is is disappointed. That's just not a thing. It's facts. It's facts. I'm, there's, I've I've made a few day fives in my life. The 06 main event was like the one that I could really remember. In that, I wasn't able to sleep. And that's like how I used to think. I used to like wake up when I had a day two on the next day. Sorry, the power just flickered. If you see the little Bitcoin guy going off. And uh, I remember that being, I remember, yep. The generator, bad transfer switch, long story. And uh, I remember not being able to sleep. I remember like bagging big on day one and like, just like, I'm like so fired up in like 08, 09, like, like the first couple of years. I'm like waking up like middle of the night, be like, wait, 
who is that in seat seven? Like, we're going to look at, uh, oh, there's that the guy. I think I remember that. He was German, right? He's German. Yeah. And like, I just, like, I remember like by the, like, I don't know, by like 13, 14, 15, I mean, like, it was fun because like a lot of times I'd plunk down to the table and it'd be a Bitcoin discussion. Because like in 13 and 14, there's already a couple of years where like people are like, holy shit, this has really went up. You know, this looks like a real thing. And then they would ask me just, and I'd love to, that was kind of fun just to hold court. But like, honestly, by that point, people had gotten a lot better and it's no longer this like, okay, just play tight, wait for Ace King. And you're like a massive favorite. And like that coupled with like having done it for like, you know, eight years in a row, it just, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I've kind of done it. I've kind of seen it. Like how long can you just peel two cards and like raise it up? Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, like it just gets a little bit, I mean, I see you're yeah, still in the streets. Like you're still kind of, you're still in the study. Like I, I'm not going to study. I'm not studying a solver. I mean, I'll take your course just because you give it to me for free. And like, I'll just, I'll see what you got to offer. But just, I mean, I'm not going to scroll through. I'm not going to study every day for like six months and get better. Like that's not, not, no, there's too much more interesting stuff in the crypto world. Yeah. Why would you do that when you can just make, you know, millions of dollars buying pictures online? Uh, Brian, thank you, thank you for joining us today for the the pod. Appreciate it. any any last things that you, you want to promote, what you're doing, anything you're up to, where people can follow you uh, or do what you're. No, you don't need to follow. I don't need any. You already, already need... shilled all the stuff. I don't today. need your. <laughs> I don't need your money. I don't need your follow. I don't need your attention. I'm just. I'm good. I'm straight. Right, man. Listen to well, Doug. I... Doug has awesome guests. Get you get, get some interesting stuff on here. You do. I like it. I like what you're doing. It, it's a good range. We have a good range of guests, and uh, I've been very happy with how things have been going so far over the first couple of months, and uh, pretty excited for the podcast moving forward. Anyway, guys, that's going to do it here from us. Uh, appreciate you tuning in once again. If you have not subscribed, subscribe, guys. Follow wherever you get your podcasts. Help show, show some support for the podcast. I do appreciate it, and it helps us grow, and then you will not miss when we have new guests on as we have them. That's going to be it for me. Uh, Tomorrow, we're going to be having Norman Chad on. I'm sure it'll be a fun one. So make sure to stop on by noon Pacific time. I'll see you then. Thanks, guys. Free Ross. Free Ross. Free Ross.